All right. Hopefully you feel welcomed. <laughs> and you got your blood flowing. All right, I'm back on screen. Let's, uh, let's look to the Lord in prayer. Father, thank you this morning um, for the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. We've been singing of that. We've been thinking of that early this morning. And thank you where he came and paid the penalty for our sins that we may have life. I pray, Lord, this morning that as we open your word, may it be clear, and may you speak to our hearts. And pray for anybody who is here who has the need of salvation, who has never come to put their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. May they do so today. Pray for those of us who know him, that you would speak to our hearts and that we would live in the way that you would have us to live and serve him. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, just to mention um, uh, what's going on the rest of the day and the rest of the week. Uh, this evening we will meet for prayer at 6 o'clock here at the chapel. Um, find when we do. There's always lots to pray about. So um, I look out here and we do have a prayer list. And there's not a single person on our prayer list that could not use prayer. And uh, so we would ask that if you're able to join us this evening for prayer, uh, 6 o'clock this evening. And then... Um, Prayer meeting on Thursday night with Rejoice and uh, ESL over at Dalhousie and, <coughs> excuse me, the um, men's Bible study on Saturday. So I um, am continuing in, in our studies in the book of Daniel. This is, this is my last time on Daniel chapter 7. We've, we've actually, this is the third, I think, message on Daniel chapter 7. And it's such, such an important chapter that uh, I had to give it the time and, and the attention. But today, the topic that we're looking at is really the core message of Daniel chapter 7. And it is the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, the returning King. Um, as you travel along, you find road signs. I mean, most, most of them now, from now until what, Christmas, will every road's going to have a sign on it saying men working, construction, construction zone, fines doubled in this area. So uh, that will be everywhere. So it's our second season. We have winter and construction. So we're now going into construction. Um, but the signs are there to, to, to tell you what's coming. The signs aren't necessarily there to say, you've passed this. Uh, funny story. One time we were talking about going to uh, possibly down to visit some relatives of Esther's down in the States. And we're saying, so how do you get there? And, and her, Esther's aunt said, well, you drive along the, what's that, I-95, and when you go along and you keep looking at the signs back that way, and when you see one that says orange, you've got to find a way to turn around and go back. <laughs> so <laughs> that's not the way road signs are supposed to work. Road signs are set up to tell you what is coming, what's ahead, not what's behind or where you are right now. Some tell you where you are right now when you come into a town, but you know what I'm talking about. You know, there are people who, are, who always try to tell you what's ahead. There's forecasters and prognosticators, and prognosticators, uh, visionaries. They want to tell us what's going to happen in, in our world in the coming year, the next 20 years, the next 100 years. And people make predictions all the time. Many times they're off base and they're not correct. I'll give you a couple of examples. Uh, back in uh, 1876, Western Union put out a memo that says that the telephone has too many shortcomings to be seriously considered as a means of communication. This device is inherently of no value to us. 
Western Union telegram service, they kind of lost out because they had the opportunity to get into the phone business. Now everybody else is in the phone business and I've got one in my back pocket and everybody here has one that hopefully won't ring while I'm speaking. Lord Kelvin, president of the Royal Society in, 19, or in 1895, said heavier than air flying machines are impossible. Well, eight years later, Kitty Hawk, North Carolina, the Wright brothers said, yeah, well, here you go, Lord Kelvin. And now we fly everywhere. I sat, well, not sat, I worked hard out in my yard yesterday, and planes kept flying around and circling, coming into the airport. And I kept thinking about this, like, Lord Kelvin, you were wrong on that prediction. Um, Thomas Watson, 1943, chairman of IBM, he said, I think that there's a world market for maybe five computers. Hmm. Again, I've got one in my back pocket, and everything we're doing this morning is driven off some computer somewhere. Uh, here's, here's, here's one of the better ones. A record company executive for Decca Records. You have to be old like me and Clyde to remember what Decca Records were. Uh, 1962, he says, we don't like their sound. We don't like these guys. We don't think the Beatles will ever do anything. And guitars are on their way out. So, sorry about that, Sam. <laughs> so, sometimes, you know, you, you get predictions and, and things that are, that are thrown out there, and they're wrong. But you see, the Bible is different. The Bible deals with talking about current events, things that are going on right now. So when Daniel is writing in Daniel chapter 7, there are things going on in Babylon that he's writing about, current events. And sometimes they're writing about historical events. This happened in the past. This king did this, and so on. There's books of history that record, after the fact, some of the things that happened in the past. But the Bible also speaks of future events, things that will happen in the future. Now what's interesting is all of those things that I read, they did not come the way that people thought. And there's books out there, there's all kinds of books. What was that lady that used to make the predictions all the time in National Enquirer, and I, I used to actually read it because my father subscribed to it. Um, Jean Dixon, thank you. She would always make these, Jean Dixon's predictions for 1977. Well, you know what, other than 1978 will follow, the rest of it was wrong. But you see, the Bible has this 100% accuracy rate. Every time the Bible pre presents uh, uh, something that's going to happen in the future, from hundreds of years before, in fact, Cyrus, who was going to free Israel from Babylon, he's mentioned, well, 500 years before he's born. Jesus Christ, he will be born in Bethlehem. Hundreds of years before it happens. Daniel, right to the day, talks about when Messiah will be cut off. Right to the day. All of this comes true. 100% accuracy. Never fails. You see, the Bible's an interesting book, and we covered this in the first session on Daniel chapter 7. 40 different authors, all different backgrounds. You've got fishermen, you've got, do fishermen. You've got doctors, you've got slaves, you've got all kinds of different people, different authors, writing different books, 40 of them. And they all agree on one thing. They agree on one true God. They agree that salvation is coming and it's going to be coming through God's servant, Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, try to get 40 different people to write 66 books over 1,500 years and all agree on the same thing. Impossible. 
You go to libraries with thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of books, and somebody's written a book to disagree with what somebody else wrote in another book. 40 different authors, 66 books, 1,500 years, all with the same theme. Many of them have never met each other. It's an amazing book, and it's 100% accurate when it comes to prophecy. You see, when you look at the Bible, the Bible is speaking of both, or all three, I guess, current, historical, and, and, and future events. But God is the author of the book. God is the author of the Bible. Yes, these men wrote it down, but God is the one who inspired it, who breathed. It's his very breath that has come to these men. And, and, and you see, when God speaks of prophecy, why it's 100% accurate is because God sees it all. The one thing about God is he doesn't have the same constraints that we do. We have time. We have space. We're, 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 we're stuck in these, in these boxes of time and space where we have to live. God's not. He doesn't have those constraints. God lives eternally. He lives in eternity. He was always there, and he will always be there. He sees events of history and future in a single view. I'll illustrate that to, to you. Daniel, chapter 7, deals with past, present, and future events. But you see, God sees the whole thing all in one. So imagine you and I were to go to a parade. The only kind of parade I've ever really been to and I can think of is the Santa Claus parade. And Santa Claus always comes at the end of the parade, right? And you get all those guys in the little cars, and you get the guys, the clowns, and all that stuff at the, at, you know, at, throughout the parade. So you pick your spot, and you sit there, and you're late. And the guys, the little clowns on the bicycles have gone by. And the, you know, the, the little what are those Shriner guys and those little, little foolish little bikes they ride, they're already gone by. And you're just kind of sitting there in just a couple of floats with girls and flowers and stuff on it. And, but you know Santa Claus is coming. That's at the end of the parade. And somebody comes up to you and says, I really want to see the clowns. Where are they? Well, they're further down. They've already gone by. Oh, okay. And if you run fast enough and you go through all the back roads, you can get to see what's already passed by going to this other point on the road. But meanwhile, you're sitting there viewing the present. From your perspective, it's the present. He's now run down your friend and has viewed the past because he's gone way down and, and, and got ahead of the... the, the I know this is really confusing because I could see how you're like glazed over. Okay. And then you're, somebody comes and says, yeah, look, I haven't got a whole lot of time. Has Santa Claus gone by yet? No, Santa Claus hasn't gone by. That's future. That's coming. That's coming. But if you want to, run up a few blocks, and Santa, I understand, is on the float and ready to go. So they run up a few blocks, and they get to the end, and they're seeing your future. They're seeing Santa Claus on the float, and it's future to you. We're talking in your reference frame, okay? Your frame of reference, physicist. <laughs> okay? Now imagine, and here's where God is, okay? You get in a helicopter, and it takes you up, and you see the whole thing. Beginning, current, and end. All in one picture. God's in the helicopter. You're on the street. You're seeing what's going on now. There's a whole past that's gone past you. There's a whole future of that parade coming to your way. And you can only see what's in front of you. But God sees the whole thing in one view. Is that clear? Oh, awesome. <laughs> All right. This morning I want to look at four things that are coming here. 
<laughs> judgment is coming, justice is coming, Jesus is coming, and joy is coming. Those are the four things that we will pull out of Daniel chapter 7. If you look in your Bibles, if you have it open in, um, in the book of Daniel, Daniel chapter 7, and I'm going to read verses 9 and 10. Now, I'm speaking, first of all, of judgment that is coming. And I'll tell you that I spoke a bit on this the last time we looked in Daniel. And then the following week, John Wells had a whole message on judgments of God. And I would say check it out. I mean, if you haven't heard it, check it out. Go back and, 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 uh, and you can listen to it on the SoundCloud. It was very, very good, very enlightening. Um, Daniel chapter 7, verse 9 and 10. I watched till thrones were put in place, and the Ancient of Days is seated. His garment was white as snow, and the hair of his head was like pure wool. His throne was a fiery flame, its wheels a burning fire. A fiery stream issued and came forth from him, and a thousand thousands, a thousand thousands ministered to him. Ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The court was sealed, seated, rather, and the books were opened. So here we see a courtroom scene where God is seated on the throne. Daniel sees the future. He sees four kingdoms. He's the one that he's currently in, Babylon. Then he sees Medo-Persia, Greece, and Rome that are coming. Leaders are going to come and leaders are going to go. They'll rule for a while and then they'll be gone. But here's the thing. All these rulers, all these leaders will stand in judgment. They will stand before God. No matter when they ruled or no matter what they did, they will stand and give an account to God for what they did. You know, so pretty much since the beginning of time, Satan has tried to convince people that there's no judgment. You just do what you want. Just carry on and do what you want. There's no God. Don't have to worry about that stuff. He's wrong. He's deceiving. The God of the Bible will eventually bring judgment. He's not just... see. <laughs> should have put a picture in. My grandson was over yesterday. I don't know. Do you know I have a grandson? <laughs> anyway, he was over yesterday. And you know what? I'm like this soft grandfather. He, he starts to cry. I pick him up. I get down on the floor with him. I get down on the ground with the bugs and stuff yesterday and played with him in the grass. And then he started to cry a little bit. I picked him up and carried him around, bounced him around, took him outside, talked to him about the stuff in the neighborhood and all stuff. Nice, soft grandpa in many ways. <laughs> but you see, the problem is, this whole world has this idea that God's this long-haired, bearded, gray-haired old grandpa up there in heaven is just going to say, you know, uh, it's okay, it's okay. You know, like the Oprah Winfrey sort of God. You know, hey, we're all right. Everybody's all right. Hope that's not going on. That's going on the SoundCloud. <laughs> God's not like that. God is just. God is righteous. God is holy. God hates what's going on in this world today. And God will bring every single person into judgment for what goes on in this world today and what has gone on in this world in the past. I believe the men who put Jesus Christ on the cross, when they stand and tremble before the holy God, the terror that they will face. I believe that if there's anybody here who does not know the Lord Jesus Christ and you have to stand before him, knowing you're still in your sins, knowing you have never received him as your Savior, knowing you are not right with God, it will be a terrifying and terrible day. 
But God is going to bring everybody into judgment. Judgment is coming. In Revelation chapter 20, we read of the same thing. It's, it talks about this courtroom where, in Daniel where, where, where a throne was brought in and, and thousands stood before it. In Revelation chapter 20, it says, And then I saw a great white throne, and him who sat on it, from whose, whose, whose face the earth and the heavens fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God. And books were opened, and another book was opened, the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works by the things which were written in the books. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. And death and hell delivered up those who were in them. And they were judged, each one, according to his works. Then death and hell, death and Hades, were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. That, those are the most sobering words in all of the scriptures. That is the judgment that is coming on this world. That is the judgment for which every person who has never received Jesus Christ, they will face that. I can just imagine the Lord Jesus Christ, the judge, his nail-scarred hands going through the books, looking. If your name is not there, if your name is not in the book of life, you will have no part of heaven. It will be hell and torments forever. We don't like to speak of that, but that's the truth. That's the truth of the scriptures. It would be wrong to not tell you that. See, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, if you're born again and if you know him, it's sort of a judgment that we will go to, but it's almost like a, and I like the way John put it, podium, where, where it's actually disbursement of rewards. It's not to point the finger at you and say, you did this and you didn't do this. It's more of a, a celebration and the rewards will be given out to those who have achieved great things in the name of Christ through his power. And we will applaud. We will applaud as we see people go up and receive rewards from God, I believe. But if you're not a believer, you will not face that. You will face the judgment of God. You will face what's read of here in, in Revelation chapter 20. It won't be like an earthly court. There won't be a debate about guilt. God will make, a, will make a verdict. There will be a prosecution. There will not be a defense. There will not be an appeal of the sentence. There will be a judge and no jury. Punishment and no parole. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 31, it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a living God. I would implore you, if you're here today and you don't know Jesus Christ, you can escape this judgment. You can escape. There is a way of escaping it. You see, either you take responsibility and take the rap for your sins, or you accept the Lord Jesus Christ who has already done that. When Jesus died on the cross, and we spoke of this earlier this morning, when he died on the cross, all of our sins, all of the sins of the whole world were placed upon him. And by believing and accepting that, I am free. I will never stand in judgment before God because I accept the fact that he died for me. And if you today will accept that he died for you in your place, you will never have to stand before God in judgment. You will stand before him in glory. I pray today, if you don't know him, that you do. You come to him. You accept that. You believe in his sacrifice for you. You know, 
Jesus himself said in John chapter 5, verse 24, he says, He who hears my words and believes in him who sent me has everlasting life and shall not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. Time magazine put this article out a few years ago. Does heaven exist? I always laugh when Time magazine decides to get spiritual and put something out. You know, the real Jesus. Yeah, sure. Does heaven exist? And, you know, they did a poll. This is in the United States, of course. Do you believe in the existence of heaven where people live forever after they die? 81%. Oh, yes. Yes, we do. Okay. Do you believe in hell, a place where people are punished forever after they die? 63% said, yeah. Hmm, interesting. 81% believe in heaven. 63% believe in hell. Nobody wants to believe in hell. But it's there. It's a fact. It's true. You see... These judgments of God are not swayed by popular vote. They're the truth. They're the truth of God, of a holy God. Hebrews says, how, can we, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? So you can count on that. The judgment is coming. Oh my goodness, time is almost it's getting up there. You can escape this by turning to the Lord Jesus Christ. I would implore you to do so today. The second thing is justice is coming. Turn back to Daniel. Daniel chapter 7, verse 11 and 12. And I watched then because of the sound of the pompous words which the horn was speaking. Remember the last time we looked at that? That's the Antichrist. And I watched until the beast, the Antichrist, was slain and, his and its body destroyed and given to the burning flame. As for the rest of the beasts, they all had their dominion taken away. This is all the rulers. Yet their lives were prolonged for a season and a time. Down verse 26. But the court shall be seated, and they shall take away his dominion to consume and destroy it forever. The Antichrist, who will take over the world and kill people, he's just a killing machine, more or less. Anybody who doesn't submit to him, he is about to get justice. He will receive justice. You know, oftentimes, and I, I hate this, you pick up the paper and you read about somebody and you know they're guilty, you know they've done it, the mountain of evidence is against them, and some technicality by some slick lawyer or something gets them off the hook. Don't you hate that? Does anybody else? Stick your hand up if you don't like that. Okay, a few. Okay, good. I can't stand that. That drives me crazy. And we all love to see justice done to somebody else, but we all love to see justice done, right? That's just the way we are. Justice. I remember a couple of weeks ago when uh, this guy drove the van into the people in Toronto. Horrific. But you know what? I was glad in the end. That policeman that took him down without shooting him and killing him. Because this guy wanted to die in this thing. But no, now he will be brought to justice. He will answer before the people for what he has done. And I thought, something in me that likes that. Remember the Boston Marathon bombers? One guy killed himself. But the other guy hid in the backyard somewhere in a boat under a tarp. And they kind of took him down, but kept him alive. And then they brought him to the hospital, and the streets of Boston burst open in the celebration. Because why? Because justice will be done. We love to see justice done. But you know what? God is a just God. And if he were to bring justice on all of us, no one would stand. Thank God he saved us. We no longer fall under the, the justice and judgment of God. Those of us who are saved. 
but his justice will come to this world. Every ruler will answer for what they have done. Every leader will answer for the power that was given to them. What did they do? Every person will answer before God. Justice will be done. The beast, the Antichrist, he will be cast into hell forever for what he has done. You know, the whole purpose of the tribulation, we all know about the tribulation that's coming, seven years. There's, there's really, there's three things. One, God's going to pour out his wrath on this world. The second thing is to prepare Israel for its Messiah, to see the people of Israel saved. Those who will look upon him who they've pierced, it says in Zechariah. Time of Jacob's trouble, it's referred to in Jeremiah. But it's a time to stir up Israel. The Jews will come and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved through that time. And it's a time to eternally do away with Satan and the Antichrist. Justice will be served up. Now, now I can get to the, that's the introduction. <coughs> All right, verse 13. Oh, I love these verses. And I was watching in the night visions, and behold, one like the Son of Man coming with the clouds of heaven. And he came to the Ancient of Days, and they brought him near before him. This is the central focus of this book, of this chapter. The kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ coming to this earth. It says like the Son of Man, that, that more or less means that he saw someone in a human form, but it, it speaks of Jesus Christ as you read through it. 81 times in the Gospels, he's referred to as the Son of Man. I think I have a slide on it. Oh, it's right there. No, it's not. Jesus called himself the Son of Man. The Jews believed, based on probably Daniel chapter 7, that the Messiah would be a son of man. So this is a, a valid name for Jesus Christ. And in verse 13, it's the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. I love this verse so much, I want to read it again. I was watching in the night visions, and behold, one like the Son of Man, coming with the clouds of heaven, and he came to the Ancient of Days, and, the, and they brought him near before him. The second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, next to faith, it is probably the most mentioned reference subject in the Bible. It's mentioned 1,845 times in some way. One-fifth of all the scriptures refer to the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. Seven out of ten chapters in the New Testament refer to it. Seventy percent of the New Testament chapters refer to it. For every one mention of his first coming, the second coming is, coming is mentioned eight times. And Jesus referred to his return 21 times. And no less than 50 times in the Bible we were told to be ready for his coming. Are you ready? Are you ready? I'm excited. I, I, I mean, I'm saying, are you ready? And people are, mm. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, I'm ready. Now, my daughter's got a wedding coming up. And she's pumped. Mary, I hear you're getting married. Oh, yeah, I can't wait to tell That's all we talk about in our house. We don't talk about anything else. There's nothing else to talk about in our house. Wedding this, wedding that, flowers this, lights this, centerpiece that, dress this, bridesmaid dresses that, shoes this, all that stuff. We're so pumped up about it. I can't believe I'm going to be a Hanson. <laughs> but that's the way it is. And we talk about Jesus Christ coming back saying, yeah, oh yeah, it's uh, mentioned 1,845 times in the Bible. Mm. Yeah, we're going to be with him forever. We're going to the wedding feast of the Lamb and we're going to be married to, to God forever. It's great. 
If we could get half as excited as my daughter is about being a bride, half as excited, it would be awesome. We would be out on the streets proclaiming Jesus Christ to everybody. That's the word I wanted. <laughs> so why did he go? And why is he coming back again? I mean, the first time he came to deal with sin. The second time he's coming to take us, collect us, and take us to be with him. He is coming to bring justice to this earth. He is coming to, to bring peace to this earth. And, and he's gone to prepare a place for us. The second time is going to be totally different from the first time. First time, like I say, he came to deal with sin. The second coming, he's coming to take over. He's going to rule the earth. He rules the earth with truth and grace and makes the nations prove the wonders of his righteousness or something like that and wonders of his love. John wrote in Revelation chapter 22, verse 20, when, when Jesus himself said, Behold, I'm coming quickly, he says, Even so, come, Lord Jesus, come quickly. The sooner you get here, the better. The sooner we can be out of here, the better. It says here he's going to come with the clouds of heaven. I don't believe that's going to mean he's going to come on a cloudy day. It might be. It might be raining. If it's collecting us in Halifax or Vancouver, it's going to be raining. But I think it means the clouds of people from heaven, all those saints that have gone on before coming with him. It's going to be like a cloud of people coming with him. Masses and masses of people. It's exciting. Okay, went the wrong way. Okay. I want to read for you a verse in Revelation that speaks of this. Here's this very event again referred to in Revelation chapter 19. Now I saw heaven open and behold on a, a white horse and he who sat on him was faithful and true, was called faithful and true and in righteousness he judges and makes war and his eyes were like a flame of fire and on his head were many crowns and he had a name written that no one knew except himself. He was clothed in a robe dipped in blood and his name is called the word of God. And the armies of heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on white horses. There's where I get the clouds part. The armies of heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean. That's going to look like a cloud, isn't it? Coming with him. You see, Jesus Christ, when he stood before Pilate, he said to Pilate, he said, my kingdom is not of this world. He is going to bring his kingdom to this world. He is going to bring judgment and justice to this world. The first time he came to deal with sin, he will come and he will deal with sinners on the next one. When he comes to rule, he will have no rivals. There will be nobody, it's not going to be a political stump where you can go out and campaign every so many years to rule. He'll rule forever. It says here he's going to wear many crowns. Think of when he came the first time. What did he wear? Crown of thorns. He's going to come wearing many crowns. He's a long way from that crown of thorns at this point in time. Amen. He's coming for us. Finally, I want to talk to you about joy is coming. Chapter uh, 7, verse 14. Then he was given to him, was given a dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, languages would serve him, and his dominion is an everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away in his kingdom, the one which shall not be destroyed. Look down at verse 18. But the saints of the Most High shall receive the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever and ever. You know, this event will bring an end to all wars. It will bring peace to this world like we've never seen before. 
You know, people have made bumper stickers about peace. They've made peace signs. They've made great declarations that we're going to bring peace on earth. And it hasn't worked last time I checked. The world is more filled with violence than it's ever been filled. In fact, the United Nations, and I'm not a fan of the United Nations, uh, if you go there, there's this wall. And on this wall, it says, they shall beat their swords, I've got to read this over closer, into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks, and nations shall not lift up sword against nation. Neither shall they learn war anymore. Signed, Isaiah. The last time I checked, I don't think the United Nations has brought that about. They may think they are, and they may think they're trying, but they're not going to bring that about. You see, they left the first part of that verse out. It says, he shall judge between the nations and rebuke many people. And then, and then, when Jesus Christ rules, not the United Nations, but when Jesus Christ rules, there will be peace, everlasting peace on this earth. That is joy. It doesn't say joy in the passage, but joy is coming because peace on this earth, no more wars, no more strife, that's joy to me. Only when Jesus Christ comes, the Prince of Peace, will we have peace. There's a hymn that we sing. <laughs> I went to a Paul Bloch concert. Sorry, Mark, for singing in your ear that night when you were on the headphones, but I went to a Paul Bloch concert, and he sang, How Great Thou Art. Clyde, you were there. And they just pumped it out. They just pumped out How Great Thou Art. And like I've never sung it before. And then he says, there's this thing you guys do in Canada. How great is God? And we're saying, oh, great. You know, it's great. Great brother, great. <laughs> and he goes, no, how great is it? You guys get excited about hockey, don't you? Yeah. He says, so there's something that they do. So he shoots, he scores, and you guys do what? And we all cheer and scream. He goes, God is great. He shoots, he scores, and then we all scream. And then he'd sing another line of the song, and he'd say, he shoots, he scores, and we'd all go, yay, like this. But we were cheering to God for how great he is, how great thou art. But there's a line in that hymn that says this. When Christ shall come with shout of acclamation and take me home, what joy will fill my heart. Then I will bow in humble adoration and there proclaim, how God, how, my God, how great thou art. He shoots, he scores. Yeah. <laughs> you guys are so weak. <laughs> I, I know. It says, but the saints of the Most High shall receive a kingdom and possess a kingdom forever, even forever and ever. That includes us. I don't feel like I could rule anything. But you know what? God's going to use me in his kingdom. God's going to use you. The weakest person here, the weakest Christian here, is going to be used in his kingdom for something, to help him rule and reign. We will have a job. We will be given positions of authority. Matthew 19, 1 Corinthians 6, 2 Timothy chapter 2, Revelation chapter 5. It's all there. Looking ahead, he is coming. Pain will end. This life will be over. All the pains, heartaches, sorrows of this life will be gone. Peace forever with the Prince of Peace. That's joy. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ and you've come to trust him as your Savior, you will have a kingdom to receive to receive and to rule with Him. 
I want to close in just asking this question. Judgment is coming. Justice is coming. Jesus is coming. For believers here, joy is coming. Are you ready? Are you ready? Hebrews chapter 2, verse 3. How shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation, which at first began first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed to us by those who heard him, heard Jesus Christ. Have you heard his voice? Have you obeyed it? Have you followed him? I'm not talking about when you were three years old, you, you said, your mom said to you, you know what, you want to be a Christian? I'll, I'll pray with you by the side of your bed and, and that'll make you a Christian. If you know today that you don't know for sure, do business with God. Do business with God. Say, am I saved? Am I, am I when you come, will I, am I ready to go? And if, if the answer to that is, I don't know or no, today, do business with God on that. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved. A man once asked two men in a prison, he says, what must I do to be saved? And they said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, you will be saved. You can be saved today. Father, thank you this morning as we look into your word, as we study this passage, we are so thankful for the joy that is ahead when our Lord Jesus Christ comes to take us to be with him. Father, what a glorious day that will be. The day that we hear that trumpet and we go up to join and meet him. And then that day that comes after that, where he comes to this earth on that white horse, to rule forever as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. I pray, Lord, that every single person that's in this building this morning knows him and with certainty can say, I will be there. When that day happens in heaven, I will be there. And if they don't, Lord, I pray that they will think about these things and like that Philippian jailer say, what must I do to be saved? And believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you for the truth of it. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. I'd like to sing if we could. Are you okay to sing?